Today on Focus on the Family, we'll explore change and why that's really hard sometimes. Maybe you can relate to some of these comments. I have this bad habit of when I'm nervous, I talk a lot, like way too much. I need to stop being so fidgety. I'm always messing with my hair and things like that. And it's um, a self-conscious thing. I wish that I had procrastinated less. I tend to be late a lot because I try to cram everything into every minute of the day. Sometimes I tend to overthink things. I want to make sure I have all the details and then what they're thinking and what I'm thinking. I just need to slow down and realize it's going to be okay and it's going to work out. I would like to be more courageous, especially in conflict where I'm willing to speak up and say what I think. I wish I could get over the habit of constantly hitting the snooze button. (laughs) Well, this is Focus on the Family with your host, Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I don't know about you, but I think change is a good thing. It's not necessarily an easy thing. Never easy, And, you know, I think those resolutions every year to lose 20 pounds or go to the gym more often are kind of the ones that are overly used. But it can be a lot of different things that we want to change, maybe reading the Word every day or as many days as possible. And then we get into it, and it just isn't doable, seemingly. We give up too quickly. Mm -hmm. So today we're going to talk about how to stick with it, how to reset and to do better uh, as you try to change those things that maybe even the Lord is saying you need to change. Yeah, yeah. and you mentioned resolutions. Uh, this is the time of year when I think most resolutions have failed, <laughs> right? And so there are some people that are fatalistic and they say, well, why even bother? That's so true, but you know what? Hang in there. Uh, I think the Lord wants us to change over time, right? That's the whole process of what the Holy Spirit's doing in our lives. Proverbs 1.5 says, a wise man will hear and increase learning. How about that one? Romans 12 talks about the renewal and transformation of our minds, and Galatians 5 describes the fruit of the Spirit, which I can remember a Christian leader once saying to me that, you know, he didn't have any of that and only a little bit of that. And I remember saying, I don't think it's a restaurant menu that we order the from. The gifts of the Spirit, The right. gift and the fruit of the Spirit is present and available to you. And that's love, joy, peace, goodness, mm-hmm. kindness, mercy. And uh, that's what we need to be aiming for. Yeah. Well, we have a great guest to uh, talk about change and uh, the full range of change management, I guess, in uh, some way, shape, or form. We're thrilled to have Deborah Filata back with us. She is a podcaster, a professional counselor, a speaker, and author, and she's written a book on this topic of change. It's called Reset, Powerful Habits to Own Your Thoughts, Understand Your Feelings, and Change Your Life. Deborah, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Deborah, we set that up. We talked about how change is good. Uh, do you think it's good? I think change is great. <laughs> I would actually be concerned if you couldn't find something in your life that you wanted to change or grow or heal from. Why do we get stuck then not wanting to change? I think sometimes we do it the wrong way. We focus on external behaviors, behavior modification, instead of actually getting to the root. You know, maybe we'll we'll go to the store and buy different ingredients, or we'll buy more books, or we'll eat fewer calories, or we'll get that gym membership. And I'm not saying those things aren't important, but oftentimes we start with the external rather than starting with the internal. Yeah, uh, Romans 7 is uh, what we often point to when we don't want to change. Because Paul himself said, those things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I do want to do, I don't do, basically. Yeah. 
What was Paul dealing with? So the interesting part about that verse is the first part. For I do not understand my own actions. And I think a big part of actually achieving change is understanding. Hmm. (laughs) That's a good one. How do we take that inventory? So let me tell you (laughs) a little story to kind of help with this. When I was in college, I owned a lemon of a car. I mean, the crazy- we all did in college. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> we common. probably all did, but mine was like super sour of a lemon. I mean, okay. when I would wake up in the morning and try to turn my car on, the craziest things would happen. The window wipers would just start wiping out of nowhere. The okay, that's car, weird. The car alarm would start blaring. <laughs> that's weird. And so one day, it's finals morning. I remember I have all these finals lined up. It's December morning. It's cold outside. I go to my car, and it won't start. All of a sudden, the windows roll down. <laughs> I finally got the car started in 19 degree weather with the windows down. Something was wrong with the car. And it's funny because in that situation with this lemon of a car, I could have tried to duct tape the windows. I could have tried to muffle the alarm so it was a little quieter. But all of those things would be external changes. I needed to get to the root of what was actually happening. Why was this car a lemon? And I took it into the mechanic. It turns out there was some wires crossed. A friend of mine had tried to fix it for me by installing a stereo system a few weeks before that. (laughs) And he crossed the wires. And so we had to get to the root in order for those external things to change. And this is the same thing that I tell people in my office as a licensed counselor. It's not just about behavior modification from the outside. We have to get underneath the surface and figure out the roots and what's going on from the inside if we really want to see change. Yeah, so the moral of that story is don't let your friends work on your car. Yeah, that's definitely (laughs) accurate. (laughs) But when you look at it, I I guess I'm always intrigued with change uh, in that there seems to be a pain point that when it gets too bad, then there's more opportunity for that change to occur. But not always. Uh, It's like that pain point can move. And you can apply that to anything, emotional, physical. You know, you got to lose weight. You want to lose 50 pounds. Why is that happening with people? Why, Why do we not implement change? Because it's better for us. You know, we've got to get to the point where the reward of change is greater than the reward of staying the same. So that work of going to the gym and having a healthy body is more of a reward than the reward of sitting at home and eating a tub of ice cream or watching Netflix for five hours straight. The reward of a healthy body becomes the reward. And so it takes time, I think, for that to shift. And there's also obstacles that keep that from happening. In fact, in the book, you you mentioned the noise that keeps our brains from really dialing in. What, What does that noise sound like? What does it look like? You know, if you think about it, we live in a world where there is just so much noise. There's constant data and information being drilled into our brains from commercials to podcasts to TV to uh, our books. I mean, there's just noise everywhere we go. And I think we get so accustomed to that that we don't realize the importance of stopping and pausing and being aware of what's actually going on inside of us. Yeah. Psalm 4610, which says, be still and know that I'm God, is critical in your book. You point to it as a core component. In this day and age, I mean, it's so hard to do that, to be still. 
and then to take it to the next level and know that he is God. How do you find that discipline? How do you do it to get quiet, to get centered, to remember that he's God? Well, I think that's the key is the word discipline. This is not something that's going to happen naturally. You're not going to find a moment to pause and stop and block out the noise. And in fact, I believe that the first step in change and when I start the book with is the discipline of pausing. Mm. And it is a discipline. It's something you have to take the time to be intentional about. But it's not just about pausing from the external noise. It's actually also pausing from the internal noise. The You know how sometimes we can be so self-critical and we can have negative thoughts. We can have ruminating thoughts. Stopping externally and internally to listen to the voice of God. You know, Jesus was really good at this. He took the time to pause and get away. He took the time to quiet his external world so that he could tune into his internal world. And I think we could learn a lot by applying that practice of pulling away and taking even 10 minutes a day to stop and take inventory of what's going on inside of us. You know, that can be really unsettling. I I know of an experience that, that I had with the boys where individually I took them into the wilderness. It's through a program, something we do called Adventures in Fatherhood. But they have you go out in the woods for three hours, and they give you 10 questions to kick off the conversation. Mm. It can be very unsettling. I think especially for dads, as you're sitting there with your 13, 14-year-old, and you try to go through three hours together with nothing to distract you. Speak to that discipline, too, of when you're getting quiet with the Lord, uh, especially with your family, if they're involved, how, how do you concentrate and relax and not start thinking about everything at the office I got to do and every other distraction? How do you really get quiet with the Lord and not think about all the other things? I think this is a muscle that we have to develop. <laughs> you know, going out into the woods for three hours is like asking someone to lift 400 pounds that's never lifted before. Right. You know, you have to start small. And I think starting with 10 minutes at a time. Um, is a really important thing. And be in tune of what are the intrusive thoughts that keep popping into my head or what are the the external things? Maybe my phone keeps dinging or buzzing in my pocket and it's distracting me or, or maybe the TV in the background and I need to turn that off. And just really take the discipline to tune out what's going on outside of you, what's going on inside of you so that you can be focused on what God might want to say. One of my favorite passages in the book of Job is when God says to him, pause for a moment and listen. Like, Job, stop. (laughs) And and when you look at the original language, it's not a suggestion. It's a strong command, like you need to stop so that you can listen. Mm -hmm. It's the prerequisite for change. It's not a suggestion. It's actually the work of change begins in pausing because it gives our nervous system a chance to actually reset and recalibrate and tune into what's happening on the inside. It's probably the first, maybe second step in recognition, correct? I mean, you got to stop and think about what's being said, what's being done, how you're acting, how you're reacting. That's part of it. Right. That's a huge part of it. (laughs) It's a huge part of it. So it's funny because when people want to change, it's like, okay, what's the first step? Well, the first step is to pause. (laughs) Like I'm ready to go. But sometimes you have to stop intentionally so that you can go, and when you go, you do it well. It might be the most difficult step in all of it. I as think you, so. As you go through it. In our culture it. today, yeah. it really is. I mean, the discipline of solitude is something that's really been lost. I found this pretty funny. You uh, describe a social experiment where 
people are asked to rate themselves on a scale compared to their peers when it comes to their healthiness, I think. You can re-describe that. Uh, what did the study reveal about the way that we perceive ourselves and others? So it was called the better than average effect. <laughs> You're not as healthy as you think you are. And, and I have proof. The better than average effect is proof. They took a group of people and they asked them questions. They asked them to rate themselves on a scale of things like kindness and morality, even how well of a driver they were. And more often than not, the average person responded that they were better than average. I'm better than my peers. I'm better than everybody else. But mathematically speaking, not everybody can be better than mm. average. Someone's <laughs> got to fall below the mean. So we had an unrealistic perception of ourselves. They thought, well, maybe this is just, you know, the people that we pulled. So let's take this better than average effect to the prisons and see what do prisoners think. Even in the prisons, people thought they were better than average average of their peers. Yeah, better than the other guy. Better than everybody else. Yeah. And I think there's something to be said of that. I think oftentimes we do think we are doing better than we are, and it inhibits our desire for growth and change and healing. I could see that. Uh, how do you do that? Let's not just rush by this. I mean, how do you end up ascertaining a more realistic review of who you are and what you're about? Well, the fact that you're listening to this program and watching us here today, I think that is a really important first step because it shows that you're downloading new information of, wait a second, I might not be as healthy as I think I am. And wait a second, I might have a biased perspective of myself. What can I begin to do about that? So even that knowledge, I believe, begins to open our eyes to the work that needs to be done. I'm smiling because there, there's a difference between saying I'm an eight, but I'm going to knock that back to a five. So I hear Deborah, but not knowing why you went from an eight to a five, just saying, okay, right. in order to, to meet the test requirement, right. I'll knock it back to average. But how do you really do the due diligence, the digging deeper through that solitude that you're talking about to say, Lord, show me where I'm not as good as I think I am? And, uh, and what's the goal there? Another powerful practice that I think we need to apply is called owning your junk. And here's what I mean by that. You need to have an objective perspective of who you are. I call it outside-in perspective. Imagine yourself in a movie and you're the main character. And watch how you interact with people. Watch people's reactions of you. Watch your tone, your volume, your body language as you're speaking. These are the ways that you start to observe who you are and how you're actually interacting with the people around you. How healthy am I? If my life were on camera display 24 hours, what parts of that movie would I start to feel a little embarrassed by and feel the need for change? We need to practice having that outside in perspective because we're so wired to think of life from the internal perspective of, well, this is who I am and this is what I do and everybody else is wrong. But take a moment to have that outside-in objective perspective and see what you learn. Wow. You know, Deborah, I'm thinking about an, a practical application of that. Your husband, John, is a big guy. And uh, I can remember when Gene, and Gene was really good at pointing this out to me, when our boys were smaller. You know, if I was on the emotional rise with something that I was displeased with, um, she'd say, you know, you're kind of a big guy, and I think the boys, you got to be careful because when your voice is going up, I think you're freaking them out a mm -hmm. little bit. Even that observation, because, mm. you know, playing sports, and that's kind of what you do. You, right. you get bigger mm. to address the problem. And I think for, especially for dads that are, you know, of good size, you got to be careful with your children 
because they, you know, it's almost like you got to get down at their eye level so you don't scare them. Yeah. I love that Gene loved you enough to give you that feedback. Yeah. Because sometimes we need people to speak into our lives and show us our blind spots. Do you have people speaking into your life? Have you invited people to speak into your life? Maybe you're listening and you're like, oh, I guess I, I don't really have people who are helping me. You know, find people and ask them to give you that outside in perspective, because a huge part of change is taking ownership and acknowledging what we need to change. A huge part of it is what scripture refers to as confession. Confess your sins and struggles to one another so that you can be healed. I don't think that necessarily means just our sin. I think it can also refer to any area where we want to heal and grow. It has to start with acknowledging and confession. And let me, I mean, some of the difficulty there too, there's some obvious ones like that one. Then other ones where she's tried to give me some insight, I haven't responded that well to. So I mean, you know, that's the hard part. Like, hey, wait a minute, you're not seeing it correctly. Right. Uh, She may still be absolutely 100% correct, but I'm not as open (laughs) to that correction. So how... How do we also emotionally come to that point where when it's even a harder thing yeah, and you're going, wait a minute, we need to debate this. I think it starts with what we tell ourselves about the feedback that we're getting. If I'm telling myself my spouse or my friend is just offering me feedback because they want to squash me down and make me feel bad, of course we're going to react. But if we can tell ourselves my friend or my spouse is offering me feedback to make me a better person, to make our relationship better and stronger. You interpret it a little bit differently depending on what you're telling yourself about the feedback. Right, right. You, in fact, in the book mentioned this isn't a one-player game called life. Right. And you point to the fact that people typically are wide open to helping you if you invite them. Right. (laughs) If you invite them. Now, the the difficulty, yeah, that's key. But um, what keeps us from that invitation to others to speak to us? Fear, I mean, there's a handful that come to my mind. You're the expert. What keeps us from saying, hey, Deborah, if you see something in my life, why don't you let me know? Yeah, I took a poll on Instagram once asking people, what keeps you from asking for help? They said things like fear of rejection or fear of being exposed or looking weak, fear of disappointment and trusting other people. And and I'm not sure if they're going to come through for me. But If you continue to listen, you'll hear, I say fear of, fear of, fear of, because the key word there is fear. Fear keeps us from asking help and getting the support that we need. But it's not a one-player game. In order to change, you have to be humble enough to realize that it takes a community. It takes the people that God has put in your life. It takes your openness and honesty to be able to share, hey, I'm struggling in this area, and I need your help to get to a better place. Let me ask you this question, being a counselor, um, when the scripture talks about fear not, and you see so many of these exchanges starting with fear, um, I would assume that our relationship with the Lord is inhibited in the same way, that we're, if we're unwilling to go to somebody that is close to us to say, can you help me better see my imperfection, how... Are we not doing that with the Lord, too? Right. Because, <laughs> because, you know, how we interpret how the Lord views us. Maybe we look at the Lord and we think he's looking down on us with shame and anger and disappointment. Mm, right. And if those are the narratives playing through our mind, we're definitely not going to go to him for help. 
But if we realize he wants me to become better, he has a plan for me that is so much better than anything I could ask or imagine. He has my good in mind. He has my best in mind. I mean, that begins to change the view that we have of God and our willingness to go to him. Yeah. In fact, you talk about it as an act of faith um, to go to the Lord and, and I'm sure even to others to help make us better. How, how is it an act of faith to do that? You know, the Bible says that when you ask, it will be given to you. And I do think there is an act of faith there in maybe overcoming our feelings, doing what we don't necessarily want to do, which is being vulnerable. But there's a reward at the end. When you ask, you will receive. When you knock, the door will be open. When you seek, you will find. But it takes that willingness. And I think moving forward in faith means that we don't allow our feelings to dictate our behavior and Mm. we move forward into becoming better people. I would think too, especially in that marriage category, the gentle answer is so critical. Mm. Um, Sometimes in marital strife, that can be really hard because there's already kind of the teapot's already boiling. So if you're attempting to say, honey, help me see some things I can't see, and she goes, oh, I got a list of 20. <laughs> and we start hitting them. You can get really defensive in that way. H- how do you coach a couple to help one another um, without hurting each other in the process? Well, one thing I encourage couples to do on a regular basis is take inventory of their bank account. Because giving someone feedback and telling them that they need to change in an area is like making a withdrawal from the (laughs) bank account. It's an important thing. You know, we got to make the withdrawal and pay for some things, but it's a withdrawal. And so you balance that out with a lot of deposits, affirmation, Mm. love, affection, kindness, gentleness, so that when the time comes for those important, necessary withdrawals, it's easier on everyone. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The the idea of Uh, allowing somebody to speak into your life like that actually does help value them, correct? Yeah, absolutely. It helps value that person because you're taking their words seriously. You're trusting them. And this is something that I think we need to address. It's not just anybody. You don't just take feedback from anybody. You don't just ask anyone for help. I think it's important who you ask Mm -hmm. and to make sure it's people that that you can trust and people who have your best interest in mind and people who really care about helping you become a better person. If you think about your life right now and you don't have a few core people like that in your life, I think it's time to ask God to reveal some of those people and be intentional about getting people like that in your life to help you along the journey of becoming better. You know, Deborah, right here at the end, I want to come back to that idea of the speck and the plank because it's right out of Scripture. It's like the Lord knew exactly how he created us and and through sin how we would react, right? So that idea that we're so quick to look at the speck in our brother or sister's eye before we look at the plank in our own, elaborate on that and how do we really absorb that so that we're not trying to work on the other person's stuff before we work on our stuff, which is really the point of it. It is so much easier to look at what everybody else needs to change and heal. I mean, you're probably listening to this right now, thinking of all the different things that someone you know needs to change. (laughs) Oh, this would be a good episode for them, you know? And I think that in and of itself just shows us like, 
God is speaking to you. God is speaking to me personally. And it's an invitation. You know, I, I think the process of change has to be seen as an invitation, not as criticism and correction. And God is inviting us to a better place. He's inviting us on a better journey. He's inviting us to do this life better than we're doing it now. When we view it as an invitation, I think it makes it much easier for us to focus on ourselves and what we need to work on before we fix everybody around us. Yeah, it's so good. And what a great place to wrap up. And we have more to cover. So let's come back next time and continue the discussion on Reset. And this is one of those resources. I'm thinking about the things we didn't do in January and February. But I hope that it's motivating enough that you're saying, okay, I need to grow deeper with the Lord. That's great. That's number one. Mm -hmm. I need to grow deeper in my relationship with my spouse, my family, my kids, whatever it might be. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we continue the conversation with Deborah Faleta, and once again, help you and your family thrive in Christ. I appreciate the warning about the typical pattern of changing a few externals in our lives. You know, maybe losing a few kilos, reading more books, but not working on our internal wiring, how we think, how we feel, and what we do with our thoughts and feelings. And remember, the change starts with a pause in order to get on the same page as what the Lord wants to do. I hope you'll join us as we continue the conversation with Deborah Folletta next time. I want to encourage you to get a copy of Deborah's great book, Reset. No matter how many times you've failed before, God's power and a renewed perspective can help you make this time different. Get your copy when you call us on 031-716-3300 or when you visit our website at safamily.co.za. I also hope you'll tune in tomorrow for the second part of this program when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. I'm Alison Schnell.